Well, good morning, Mount Pleasant, and good morning, Alma, and good morning to all of those of you who are online. Uh, we're continuing in our series on Over It, and today it's one that really hits closely to each one of us because I believe we have all experienced what we're going to talk about today. There was a pastor who noticed some new families coming into the church. And as was his custom, he decided to call one of those families. So he called them in the afternoon and had this little voice answer, hello. He said, hi. He said, who is this? He said, this is Johnny. He said, Johnny, is your mother there? No, she's busy. He said, okay, how about your dad? He's busy too. He said, well, there are there any other adults in the house that I could speak with? Yeah, there's a policeman. He said, well, could I talk with him? He said, no, he's busy. What's he doing? He's talking to the fireman. He said, Johnny, what are the police and the firemen doing there? They're looking for me. <laughs> That's one of the great things, isn't it, for kids to, to play hide-and-go-seek? Um, this Christmas, we happened to be blessed to be with two of our daughters and three grandkids. And the two older grandkids, a two-year-old and eight-year-old, wanted to play hide-and-seek. You know, it's hard when you get to a certain size to hide. <laughs> but it was, it was really fun to do. And here's what gets me. The two-year-old covers his eyes and says, I'm hiding, as though you can't see him. The eight-year-old's a lot smarter, though. She stands in a wicker basket and puts a blanket over her. So she looks like a tree. You know, a tree that her mother has never had there before. But, of course, you play along and, and you go everywhere and you can't find them. Um, I was hiding really well. I was in the pantry, a dark room, the lights off, and all of a sudden we were just hiding. This, the door begins to creak open, and I'm thinking, she's going to find me, that little eight-year-old. It's not it. It's the mother-in-law of my daughter, and as she opens the door and sees me, she screams, and we're both caught. <laughs> you know, hiding is, is really a lot of fun when it's a game. But there's a problem that you and I have, and maybe you've experienced it. I certainly have, and that is that there have been times when I've hidden from myself, when I've actually not liked me. I look in the mirror and think, oh, who is this person? Why am I? What am I? And I hide from myself. And then you know where that leads? That leads me to hiding from others. Because I don't want to be with them. I don't know what they're going to think of me. I'm concerned that they may not like me. And that, in turn, can ultimately lead to my hiding from God. Hiding is something that we need to get over. Because when you're in hiding, you're making a statement, whether it's hiding from yourself, hiding from others, or hiding from God. You're not satisfied with life. Now, the overall scripture that's going to undergird what we talk about today it's a statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Many of you know this in verse 17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What's he saying? He's saying, yes, I used to look in the mirror and I saw somebody that I didn't like. But now, because Christ lives in me through his Holy Spirit, I look in the mirror and I realize that old person is no longer there. Oh, there are some remnants of him that pop up from time to time. But no, this is a new creature that has been created by God himself. And so I no longer need to hide from myself. You see, hiding is often a fear-based reaction when it's not just a game. It's we are afraid. We're afraid that we don't measure up. To what? To anything. We don't measure up to the standards that we've set for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, for God. One example from the book of Jonah. Now, you remember Jonah. He was a prophet. He was one that God used to tell people about the gospel. But something happened in Jonah's life, and he just didn't like himself anymore. Now, I know he was running from God, but let me tell you, he was also running from people, and he was running from himself. He proves the point that that's what happens. I'm going to pick three different verses from the first chapter of Jonah and read them to you. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. There was a pastor in Philadelphia years ago at 10th Presbyterian Church. His name was James Montgomery Boyce, great, great preacher. And I heard a message he preached once on Jonah, and he used this illustration. He said, do you remember Moses' mother when Moses was born? She knew that by the laws of God, she could not kill him, that she had to try to preserve him. So she put him in a basket, and Miriam, his sister, took the basket to the water. And you remember the, the little basket floated up, and Pharaoh's daughter saw it, and how circumstances worked out that Miriam said, oh, are you going to keep the baby? Yes, I am. Well, you need someone to feed the baby. Yes, I do. I know someone who could nurse this baby. And she said, well, I'll pay her to do it. So Moses comes back to his mother, who out of obedience had done what God said to do, and now she's getting paid to take care of her own child. Now contrast that to Jonah. Jonah, not liking himself anymore, not liking other people anymore, not liking God anymore, decides to disobey. So what does he do? He goes down to Joppa. He goes down in the ship. He goes down into sleep. They throw him overboard and he goes down into the water. And then he goes down into a great fish. I mean, this is a downhill trip. And that's what he's taking, and here's the, the terrible part. He paid for it. He actually paid to do this. See, we pay to separate ourselves from ourselves. There's a cost involved. 
We pay to separate ourselves from others and from God. There is a cost involved. And Jonah knew that cost, and yet he still walked that walk. There was something about his personality. He had lost sight of the fact that God created him, God saved him, and God gave him a mission. He had a purpose in life. I'm sure he was going around saying to himself, nobody likes me. I don't want to have to go over there. I get over there to Nineveh, and all of those people are just going to be awful. They won't like me either. God, I just I don't care anymore. I'm giving up. See, when you're in hiding, you're living on false emotions. You're not dealing with truth. God made you. God loves you. Jonah was not at all who he thought he was. God made him his child. God loved him beyond measure, and God gave him a purpose. Now, that's true for you and for me today. God created us. God saved us. God loves us beyond our ability to understand in spite of who we are. And God has given all of us a purpose. The general purpose, the overarching purpose, is that we are to glorify Him in everything that we do, in everything we say, in everything we think. And we're to do that 24-7. And we are to enjoy doing that. Because we know. You see, I know God created me. I know He loves me. I know He saved me. And I know He's given me a purpose so I have meaning in life, so I can look in the mirror and say, I don't have to run from myself anymore. I am who I am, and God knows who I am, and therefore, I can glorify Him. So let me ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know that God made you? You weren't made by accident or the combination of time and chance. God made you. And God loves you. Think about that for a minute. How do you know he loves you? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That's how you know he loves you. And he has given you a purpose, a mission in life. And any mission that you're on right now is the mission he has given you. It's not that all of us have to do one thing to be accepted by God. He needs all of us doing everything that he's called us to do in order to accomplish his purpose. If you lose your purpose, you lose yourself. That's why you're looking in the mirror saying, I don't like me. Why? Because I don't know what my purpose is. When you find your purpose, you get into a close relationship with God, then you know where you're headed. Otherwise, you're wearing a mask. Oh, I'm sorry. You are wearing masks. <laughs> You see, in the old Greek tragedies, they had two masks, a smiling mask and a frowning mask, and they were called hypocrites, from which we get the word hypocrites. It's because we put on a mask, not one like you and I wear these days, but we put on a mask that gives us the look of everything's fine with me while I'm dying inside. I don't like me. 
God is saying, I've already taken that mask off of you, and I've put truth in its place. So you need to learn to get over it and accept the purpose that I've given you in life. You are known by God even when you're trying to hide from him. The mask doesn't hide you, does it? A few weeks ago, I was down in the Detroit area, and I went into one of the big box stores. I hadn't been in it for a long, long period of time. And I had my mask on and just quietly walking through to get the two or three items that we needed. And as I'm going down, someone says, Hello, Pastor. I'm going, Oh, come on, man. You know, I, I can't go anywhere. Because <laughs> the mask doesn't hide you. And the mask that you may be wearing today is not going to hide you, but you are in a place where you can take it off. Where you can release the old you and accept the new you. I listened to a videotape the other day of Joyce Meyer. She was talking along these same lines, and she said, you know, if you really want to know who you are, you need to talk to God. And so in her speech, she goes over and she picks up a phone, and she says, hello, I'd like to talk to God. And God comes on, and she says, okay, I want to know what to do with my life. Read the Bible. Do it. Is there anything else? Oh, you don't want to tell me twice. Okay, what do you mean you have to go? And that was it. It's like it's so simple. We have the character of God encased in 66 books in the Old and New Testament. And in those books, we know we have received a revelation of who God is through Jesus Christ, His Son. And so when we get to know God, we come out of hiding because we're getting closer and closer to Him. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. That's what that 2 Corinthians passage is talking about. It's saying that the old has gone, the new is now in place. So now I am being conformed to the image of His Son, and so are you. So it's time to come out of hiding from yourself and find out what it is that God really wants you to do. You see, God did not hide Himself from us, did He? Jesus came and revealed who He was. Hebrews 1.3 says, He sent His Son in the likeness. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Jesus Christ is God. He's part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when He came out of obedience to the Father, He revealed Himself to us, just as He is. All of His sorrows, all of His pain, all of His anguish, all of His love, all of His healing power, all of His grace and mercy, it's all there. So if you dive into that Word of God, you're going to find the truth that's going to set you free. That's where you find your purpose. That's where you find acceptance of yourself. You begin to say, you know, I'm not really that bad of a guy. I kind of like who God's making me to be. Not verging on pride, but just on reality. That I am who God has made me to be. He told me who He is. He showed me who I am. And now I have the ability to be myself. Which leads us to the second concern 
and that is hiding from others. Some of you are familiar with the Christian artist Toby Mack. Uh, I knew him as Toby McGuire when he was with DC Talk, but he made this statement. He said, one of the greatest prisons people live in is the fear of what other people think. I'll read it again. One of the greatest prisons people live in is the fear of what other people think. Now this takes us back a little bit to last week when Pastor Allen said we are not to compare ourselves one to another. And I'm hoping today that my message is better than his was last week. I told him that I would say that. <laughs> so we know not to compare. So how do you handle what others think of you? It's really a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Because I don't think anyone in here desires to be unliked. Now, I want to be liked, but I want to be liked for who I am, not for what someone else wants me to be. For years, I preached at a church, 16 years, and I promise you, almost every Sunday, the same person came up to me with something they didn't like about what I said. But don't do that today, okay? And I prayed and prayed, how do I deal with this? Finally, I got to the point, and I said to this person, well-meaning, loving gentleman, I said, thank you so much for your input, but I really don't think it's going to change what I'm going to say that God's given me to say. You see, my concern is not that you like me, but that he anoints what I'm saying. Do I want to be liked? Of course. But if you're going to serve the Lord in any capacity, right where you all are today, you have to have tough skin. <clears throat> you have to be willing to know that there will always be those who don't like you for who you are. But you see, if you're being made in the image of Christ and, and you're growing, then it's their problem, not yours. So in love, you just hear what they have to say, but don't let it change you. That's not how it works. Say what I say. I'm on a mission. This is what God's given me to do. You know, you can join me, you can come in with me or not. That's totally up to you as you're finding what God wants you to do. But I know what he wants me to do. And I'm focused on that mission. I try to be consistent with Paul's statement, forgetting what is behind. I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm focused this way. As long as he'll use me this way, I'm going to keep doing it. And it doesn't matter what other people think. As long as what they think is not something that's going to impact me. Now, truth needs to come out. If the person who's saying that is something wrong in their life, then that truth needs to be exposed so that they can be more conformed to his image, repent, and get the forgiveness needed. Peer pressure is something that pushes us into being someone we're not with others, not wanting to be with others. 
Can you remember either being the first or the last selected in a pickup game where someone said, okay, I'll, I'll be the captain, the other guy, I'll be the captain now. Who do you want to pick first? And there's that little guy on the end that's always the last one. He really doesn't want to be with others because the peer pressure is so great. The peer pressure going to college. I remember coming out of high school. I mean, I was Mr. Everything in high school, and then I get to the university, and I'm known as 05149. And that was my student ID. Nobody else knew me. And it was hard for me because I like people. I like relationships with people. We were created to be in relationship, not to run from others. God wants us to, to do together what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Let me give you an illustration of someone who, who ran because he didn't like people. He was tired of people. You know him. His name was Elijah. We pick up his story in 1 Kings 19, just the 14th verse. God has come to Elijah and said, what is going on in your life? And here's Elijah's response. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. He just didn't want to be around people. He didn't agree with the way God was going with this whole situation. So God speaks to him. This is such a loving God. He says, what are you doing here? Says, What's your purpose? We get back to that. So I'll ask you today, what are you doing here? Now, why are you here? If you're here because the Spirit of God brought you here so that you could be fed the Word, so that you could leave here no longer hungry, but able and better equipped to go serve Him in whatever your purpose is, then great. That's a good thing to be here for. If you're here because you don't know a lot about Christianity and you want to know, that's a great thing. We're so glad you're here. If you're watching online and, and you're thinking, I haven't heard these things before, stay with us because you will hear about the love of our God. But Elijah was just fed up with people. <clears throat> he felt alone. He felt isolated. And then God hides him. And he brings thunder. He brings rain. He brings wind. But he doesn't get any revelation from God with these forces of nature. And then all of a sudden, a still, small voice inside of him. He knows that he has encountered God. And God says to him again, what are you doing here? And his purpose came back into mind. Okay, I will do whatever God calls me to do because I know I need to be in relationship with people. Purpose with self, friends, family. What's your purpose? We're created to live in relationship. Christ built the church by starting in relationship with a group of men that expanded to a group of men and women and children, and it got bigger and bigger, and here we are today because we were created to be unified 
while each of us is a diverse member of that unity. Now, what I just said is a reflection of the God we worship, the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are unified. They are all one. They are God. We worship one God in three persons. But each person has a diverse role in that Trinity. They're equally God, no subordination among them. So here we have the perfect unity and diversity reflected. And here we have the imperfect unity. That's why we want to be so unified. And each of us has a diverse gift that God has given us for the sake of the unity. Are you following that? So you have a gift, a purpose that God has given you. Gave you a purpose, gave you a gift to fulfill it. And it is to be filled as a member of the body of Christ. That's our unity. So it's important. That's why groups are so important to us. It's because it brings us together. We're about to launch groups in February. Make sure that you get into a group. You can do it online for now. Some of them may even be meeting in person. But there'll be lots of opportunities for you. We were created to live in unity. Christianity is not an individual sport. It's a team activity. It's the reflection and the unity of the Trinity. If any of you watch sports, and you've heard multiple interviews of both coaches and athletes, I really, I get so tired of this statement. They'll say, well, what do you need to do to, today to win? And one of these 300-pound linemen will say, execute. You know, if I'm in front of him, I'm afraid what he means by that <laughs> is literal. What he's saying is, I need to do what I was called to do. They pay me to play this game because I'm good at it, and I'm still learning more about it, but all I have to do is do what I have learned. It's no different in the kingdom of God. You have been called out of the world into a relationship with Jesus, and in that relationship, he has gifted you, and he has trained you, and he still is. I'm still in training. I'm still learning. But the bottom line is, I need to execute. I need to actually do what God has called me to do. When I'm not doing what God has called me to do, I don't have a happy life. I'm not a happy person. I'm not just talking about preaching. I'm talking about living the life that he's given me so that every circumstance can work itself out. About a month, month and a half ago, I pulled out of our subdivision, and two cars passed me, and I pulled on out to follow them, and all of a sudden, one of them decided to make a left-hand turn without a signal, slammed on the brakes. person in front of me slammed on the brakes. I didn't have time. I slammed into the back of the person in front of me. Now, in that big Yukon, didn't scratch it. That's why I have it. I was so concerned. I put it in parked. I jumped out. I ran up to the car. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I am. I am. She said, I saw what was happening. I tried to get out of your way, and I couldn't. And I said, well, let's move our cars to the side. And we did. And we started talking, and I gave her the information. And I said, I was just on my way back to Mount Pleasant where I'm a pastor in one of the churches. Oh, you're a pastor. 
She said, well, I'm a Christian, and I have a lot of questions that I'd like answered. And my thinking is, really, God? Now, this is what will really get you. She was driving a Kia Soul, and she said, well, God sent you to hit my soul. <laughs> Two days ago, my wife and I invited her to our home. We sat socially distanced with masks on, and we talked for two and a half hours because she wanted to understand her purpose in life. You see, if I'm doing something that God chooses to do something else with, I have to be open to that. So here, this little fender bender, which cost me absolutely nothing. I didn't even put in a claim. It led to the encouragement of a member of the body of Christ because we were willing to be in relationship with her. That's all about God. It's not about us. It's about God. But it shows you He will use you however He chooses, whenever He chooses, but you have to be open to that. So no more hiding from yourself. No more hiding from others. Accept who you are, and if they can't, it's their problem, not yours. You say, I'm made in the image of God. But here comes the tough one. Hiding from God. It started in the garden. The garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. How do you hide from the one who created you? It is impossible. Adam thought that they could hide behind a tree. Do you think a tree keeps God from seeing you like the two-year-old with his hands over his eyes. No, God sees everything. There's a pastor, I ran across a comment that he made about this passage. His name is Pastor Hayden Nesbitt. Listen to this. Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect communion with God in the garden. They heard from and spoke to God directly. There were not sinful distractions that wedged themselves between God's Word and their obedience. Their lives revolved around God's Word. But the serpent slithered over Eve's shoulder and whispered the first lie that still echoes off the walls of our hearts. Did God really say? It was a seed of deceit, and it's been sown deep into each one of us. The unhindered experience of God's voice that marked the garden was marred in the moment. Adam and Eve looked outside of God's word for truth. They considered, did he really say? 
that whisper of deceit snowballed into an outright reversal of the original picture. Loving obedience to God's word became utter fear at the sound of his voice. Now when God spoke, Adam and Eve shuddered. They hid themselves in their newfound shame. What a great comment about what happened. But you see, because we are new creation, and he has created something new in each one of us because we've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, there's no shame anymore. Now, is there fear? The right kind of fear, yes. The Apostle Paul says that we should work out our salvation in fear and trembling. What does he mean? Not work for it, because it's not by works. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. But once we have that salvation, having acknowledged Christ as Savior, repented of our sins, then we need to understand that that salvation is a gift and we need to work it. We need to work that gift in honor of God. Not the kind of fear that makes you shudder, but the kind of fear that is the awesome respect the creator of the universe deserves. Let's face it. You and I are sinners. We were born that way. Not because of something we did, but because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We inherited that. But if you have acknowledged that, then God has forgiven you for your sin and for the sins you have committed and for the sins you will commit. Because we do continue to sin, but then we ask forgiveness, and we know we gain it from God. So that's who we are. We have built into us this knowledge of God. So here's the secret. God knows where you're hiding. He didn't ask Adam and Eve, where are you, like a GPS locator. He knew where they were. He was asking them spiritually, where are you? Where are you in your relationship with me? That's God's intent in that statement. And so on his behalf, I ask it to you. Where are you in your relationship to Jesus Christ today? If you're not in a relationship with him, I'm so thankful you're here or you're watching. Because today is the day of salvation for you, that you could acknowledge him and pray, Lord, just forgive me and create in me that new man, that new woman. Help me to become what you want me to be. He didn't hide from us. He revealed everything we need to know about faith and life and salvation. So don't hide from him anymore. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there is no hiding from God. You may try to hide from others and from yourself, but you'll never hide from God. So don't hide from yourself. Don't hide from others. Don't hide from God. Stephanie Gretzinger wrote a beautiful song. It's in the album, The Undoing. We've sung it here a while back. Just one verse of it here says, Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. God has the key, 
to show you the perfect hiding place. Early in our marriage, Linda and I liked to play hide and seek. And we were in a home that we were house-sitting for a period of time, and we were restricting ourselves to the first level. The people who asked us to live there said, you never need to go to the second level, just stay on the first. It's a pretty good-sized home. So we decided one night we would play hide-and-seek. And the rules were all the lights were out, only a little moonlight coming through. And I said, I'll hide first. Twenty minutes later, she's still looking. She's becoming frustrated. She starts talking. You're here somewhere. I'm going to find you. I'm tired of this. She finally comes into the master bathroom, and she said, I'm turning on lights, and she reaches over to turn the light up that's over the sink in the counter and grabs my leg. She screams, and it's the last time we ever played hide-and-seek. <laughs> what a great hiding place, you know? You just stand up on the sink, and the wall's here, and who's ever going to think that somebody's going to do that? Well, there is one place that it's safe to be you. It's safe to be you. It's safe to be you with others. It's safe to be you with God. And I love this passage because this, this is the culmination. You want to hide? Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. God is our hiding place. We don't hide from God. We hide with him. You see, here's the key. This is what you need to leave with. You can hide with God, but you cannot hide from God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you see everything. Nothing is hidden from you. We are truly open books in your presence. You're so gracious and merciful, Lord, to love us in spite of all that we are. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to accept ourselves as you have created us and loved us and saved us. Help us, Lord, to understand our mission in life, our purpose. Help us to work well with others and not hide from others. And most of all, Lord, thank you that you see us wherever we are. Let our hearts not be in hiding from you, but encourage us and strengthen us as we hide in your presence. You are our hiding place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.